what's happening, guys. Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. On today's show, I'm going to talk about the heavyweights. A huge win for Derek Lewis, Rosenstruck versus Gone, and what John Jones will look like when he eventually fights at heavyweight. And you'll want to stick around for the end of the show because something happened this weekend at the weigh-ins that disgusted me. That's coming up later, but first, I just thought I'd let you know a little bit about my vacation, guys. I am in beautiful San Diego. I don't know a ton about San Diego. My sister went to college here. And I can remember her always telling me the one thing about the weather in San Diego is it never changes. On a cold day, it's going to be 76 degrees. And on a hot day, it's going to be 84 degrees. And all year long, regardless of summer, spring, autumn, fall, winter, it's going to be between 76 and 84 degrees. And it's exactly what I'm experiencing. I can hear the ocean. I can tell you, I slept with my window open just so I could hear the sound of the ocean, just so I could breathe that in. I don't know if I have had such a heavy and good night's sleep. There's a tranquility. There's a real peace to it. All right, guys, let's get into it. Beginning with what I saw this past weekend. Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades, a few thoughts, first of which is, damn, Curtis Blades look good. Right, I mean, Curtis Blades, who has been criticized at points in his career for being so good at wrestling, so good at wrestling and so dominant that he only uses his wrestling. Curtis Blades was out there kickboxing, and by the way, quickly, by the way, in combinations, by the way, understanding range and controlling distance, Curtis Blades looked great. He was starting to do damage. He was starting to hurt Derek Lewis's lead leg. Derek admitted that at the post-fight press conference. So everything's going well in this sport till it's not, though, right? I mean, it's one of those things. And Derek Lewis never got frustrated. He just stayed in the fight. He was continuing to take notes. That's what's happening. When you think a guy's starting to get picked apart, he's taking notes. It's detective work nonstop. You're starting to see, okay, what comes first, the punches or the kicks? Okay, how many punches come before the kicks? Okay, what does he do after that? But you're, you're, you're studying this on the fly while taking shots. It's hard to do. It's hard to do, but it's what Derek was doing. And Derek was noticing, I believe, that after a certain amount of combinations, Curtis would change elevation and look to close the distance. And Derek started to look for that. And sure enough, a combination came, blades change elevation, came in, and there was an uppercut. I don't know anybody that could have taken that uppercut. I mean, it was one of those things. I thought Blades looked awesome. I thought Blades looked like the better fighter. In all fairness, I thought Blades looked like the better fighter. But Lewis was so patient, and he's got that power. You can just not dismiss the Black Beast. You just can't do it because he's going to be there. And that used to be a knock on his career, that he's not going to be there all fight. And then Lewis got, he started changing his body, he lost a whole bunch of weight. All of a sudden he's going five rounds, he's getting booked in championship fights. It was one of these things where he was forced to learn to extend. But he has learned, and he can extend. And I watched Big John. Big John did a piece on Derek Lewis, and he talked about something that I knew, but that I didn't realize. And what Big John was talking about is for Derek Lewis to have come this far, by the way, he has a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, to put that in perspective. He's never had a wrestling match. He's never done amateur boxing. To put that in perspective, he walked in on day one to an MMA gym and said, I'm going to go be the world champion. 
And I didn't realize, I forgot that he played football in high school. He did not wrestle. I forgot, by example, that he was not a grappling competitor, that he didn't do taekwondo or karate as a little boy. I just forgot these things. But you do deserve a lot of credit. And it's also very interesting to watch how some of those guys learn. To watch somebody that comes in and learns that doesn't have a bias in one specific direction because that's what he learned his whole life. To watch somebody come in with a clean slate, start to find out, man, I got some powerful hands, but maybe I'm not Mr. Leg Kick because of my build. I'm pretty good with getting takedowns, but I'm not the guy that's going to sprawl. And I mean, just to watch a guy learn, but starting at even, starting with no bias. And I do realize that we're seeing kids who started that at 14, and now they're growing up. Their names are Khabib, right? Their names are Zabit. But we don't see a lot of adults that have done it. Derek might be one of the few examples, and he is the only example that you're going to see doing it in the last fight of the night on ESPN. And when Big John brought that up, I thought, I thought it was very relevant. If you're looking to give compliments to Derek Lewis, you do have to start with that, that he didn't have a background, that he had a later start, that it was just hard work, drive, and determination. But it, I think that also speaks to how he can stay calm in battle. doesn't know any different. I think that speaks to how he can be getting picked apart by a big, strong, number three heavyweight in the world in Curtis Blades. But know that he, one shot can change this. It's a very interesting mindset. I don't know that it's one that you can copy. It's one you can admire. But I don't know that it's one if you're an aspiring fighter and go, okay, here's what I need to do. I need to do what Derek Lewis does. I need to be able to stay calm. I need to be able to weather a storm. I, I don't know. Nature versus nurture. It's an interesting thing, but I think when Big John does bring up the background of Derek Lewis and the fact that he didn't start in a traditional martial arts or even wrestling, even out there competing in something one-on-one, -on -one, but has made it all the way to this spot. Now, Derek Lewis is talking about world titles, guys. That gets harder and harder to deny. What else are you going to do with him? And Derek is damn near, because of his success, in the worst possible spot you can end up in. He damn near is. He's a big draw who's well-paid, who's highly ranked, who's not going to fight for a world championship. I mean, the world title's about to be contested between Engano, who, by the way, Derek Lewis beat, Engano versus Stipe. Whoever comes to that is believed to go into John Jones. So what, what do you do if you're Derek? What do you do? And the match that Derek is interested in is Alistair Overeem. And there is a belief, policy-wise, that if you win your last fight, you take on somebody else who won. If you lost your last fight, you take on somebody else who lost. That's a policy. We don't have to follow that. We don't have to follow that at all. Two main eventers. That's what we know. Reem is a main event fighter. Derek Lewis is a main event fighter. They're in the same weight class, and they want to fight. Seems like that problem solved. Okay, so that's my thoughts on last weekend's heavyweight fight. So let's turn our attention to what's coming up this weekend. Cyril Gunn taking on Rose and Strook. You know, I feel like I had something to do with this in my own little way, in my own little small way, but I feel like I did because I got asked this question. It was right after Gunn's last fight. Right after Gunn's last fight, I was at ESPN and I got asked the question, who should Gunn fight next? And I said, you know, and Rose and Strook had just fought. Rose and Strook had fought like a month ago and they're very similar if you go look at these guys. Anyway, I said Rose and Strook versus Gunn. So, Maybe I, maybe I got that started. I want to take a little bit of credit for it because that is a very fun match and it's a very interesting match. I mean, if you go and look at their records, Gone is undefeated and Rosenstruck is flat impressive. A lot of people dismissed him because he was losing to Overeem. I saw something different. I gave him credit because he was losing to Overeem. 
I thought it was awesome that late in the fight, great big guy, still had the energy, still had the tack, still had the heart, could land the shot. I liked it myself. But if you go look at these two guys, you're talking about two kickboxers. And neither one's going to double cross the system and go out there for the takedown, right? Remember when we'd have that back in the day? Take two great strikers and somebody always would double cross the system. I think, who'd we have one time? Was it Houston Alexander taking on Kimbo? Is that who it was? Where they didn't double cross, they stayed on their feet the whole time, just never touched one another. We saw that too, Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis, Lewis and Ngana was one of those weird ones. Where they're right there, they're locked in the cage, they're right in front of each other. They just didn't want to touch one another for 15 minutes. When you look at Gone and you look at Rosenstruck, one thing that they both do is they go out and they get right into range. And that hurt Rosenstruck against Angano, but it still makes my analysis accurate. He stepped right into range. He was looking to get in a fight. I feel as though Gon does the same thing. Rosenstruck is not going to start with the hands. He's going to start with leg kicks. Well, that's the same thing that Gon does. That's not, they both can't do it. One of them's going to be quicker. One of them's going to have to change their style and strategy. And I feel as though we really need to start talking about heavyweights more, guys, because you are going to get ushered in a new era of heavyweights in 2021. Names that you do not know, names that you are not familiar with, or you've seen the guy, or he's on the undercard, or he caught your eye, they are going to be marquee stars by this time next year. 2021 is going to have a major turnover. I'm talking of the top 15 heavyweights in the world. You're going to have 11. You're going to have 10 new names by this time next year. That deck is about to get shuffled. And I do think that Gon and Rosenstruck, particularly with their records, you know, Gon's perfectly undefeated. Not to mention just beat a, a world champion in Dos Santos. And in all fairness, I didn't think he looked all that great. Now, I'm not attempting to insult Gon. I'm talking, I, I'm attempting to speak to his potential. Gon, who's undefeated and just beat a world champion, I don't think has given us his best performances. I think he's still getting used to it. I think there's still some nuances. I think there's still some, some hesitations at times in MMA that he didn't feel in kickboxing. I think the ceiling for Surreal Gone, I, th I think it's very high. I think he's going to be one of those guys that really gets out there. Now, can he even get past Rosenstruck? That's between those two. But I will, I will encourage you to start paying closer attention to the heavyweights. What you think you know, I'm, I'm assuring you, as it plays out in 2021, we are going to have a lot of new faces. So the guy that's hovering over all this heavyweight division talk is, of course, John Jones. John Jones put an Instagram post out. He was doing some squats, 400 pounds, 500 pounds. I don't know what it was, a ton of weight, a ton of weight. And I am very curious and I'm very into the experiment that is John Jones that's going on, right? And that experiment, real simple, not can he go out and compete skill-wise with heavyweights. That's not what this is. He's attempting to transform his body because he believes if he's going to be at heavyweight, he needs to weigh what a heavyweight weighs. And John even set a goal that at some point he put out, and I remember hearing, of 240 pounds. John Jones at 240 pounds, I mean, that is going to be interesting. That, flat scary, right? Flat scary is what John Jones is now. 
Now you're telling me he's going to put on 15 pounds of steel? And he's going to be taking on guys who theoretically are slower than he is? It's very interesting. However, it's not as simple. I have to use the word theoretically. I have to use that because it is an experiment and we don't know. When you change your physiology, things happen that you won't consider. I can go back to personalize it, but to my childhood. And you guys remember this when you're a kid, you have summer break, but you have to get all new school clothes. You don't get those clothes just because it's a new year of summer. You grew in summer break. Those clothes don't fit. Your pants now, they're, they're, they're too short. You're coming out of the shirts. The shoes don't fit. Your body grows. Two and three inches. You can put on 10, 12, 15 pounds. And I remember I would wrestle every day. We got seven weeks a year off. Seven weeks. First week of July was our last practice, and, and we had all the way until September 2nd. Seven weeks. And I can remember going into practice on those first days. It was like I had never done it before. To bend your knees and get in a stance and move your feet and try to attack an opponent or defend yourself from attacks from an opponent. When you've gained 12 pounds or when you've grown three inches, it was starting over from step one. Balance, coordinate, all these things were off. And you got it back, it comes back quickly. Two, three, four weeks, it's a distant memory. But it happens. It's my only frame of reference. But now John's about to go through that. And I'm very curious, is that going to help him? Is he approaching this right? I think that he is. I see it the way John sees it. If you're going to go into heavyweight and the limit is 265, and you're going to be the smallest heavyweight to have fought for a championship since Randy Couture did it in 2007, yeah, it would seem as though doing some powerlifting, getting some size makes sense. I would have never even considered that he was looking at it wrong, ever, until Israel Adesanya came out and said he's not going to do it. Talking about himself, Adesanya moving up to 205 pounds, he said, I'm not going to put on one single pound. This is not about me getting bigger to fight these guys. It's about me being smaller than the guys that I'm fighting. That is what the story is. I am coming up in weight. I'm not going to change myself. I don't want to have to reset and recalibrate my timing and my speed and my offenses and my defenses because I put on size which in theory could make you slower and it could, uh, tired faster rather, and it could make you physically a little bit slower. But I had never considered it. Have you guys, did you ever consider that? I think we would all default to the rationale that John had. I got some size I'm giving up. I got some time. I'm going to spend it filling that gap. Made sense until Adesanya said no. Now we're going to have to juxtapose these two. Right, this isn't gonna, we're not gonna have the answer to this just when Adesanya gets done and just the result of Adesanya's match with Blahovich, or after John's competition and the result. This is gonna be very performance based. It's gonna be a very interesting study. Two guys changing weight classes, one guy trying to put on size, one guy changing weight classes and purposely not trying to put on size. I don't know what the right answer is, but I am very curious. Seeing John Jones at 240 pounds, it's an interesting thing. 
it's very difficult, if not almost impossible, at his age, John's age, to put on 15 pounds in six months and to do it of all muscle. And I've made this point before, and I had some steroid freak on the internet tell me that, no, that's very reasonable. No, it is not. And the steroid freak doesn't know anybody who's done it. He's read about people doing it. He's been told this as folklore, but he wasn't smart enough to know that they were sticking a needle in their ass. Yes, I know plenty of people that can put on 15 pounds of muscle in six months by using anabolics. That's not what we're talking about. And it's the muscle specifically is what I bring to you. To put on muscle, like if you talk to bodybuilders and you know about that, you can't put on muscle without putting on fat. That is where they'll do those bulking, they'll eat so many calories, they'll look disgusting, but then they'll take the fat off and what's left is the muscle. We're talking pure muscle. So it's a very interesting experiment. And if you've ever tried to lose weight, you know how hard that is. But I'll tell you one just as hard as trying to gain weight. When you are trying to put down protein and put down calories and lift heavy weights, it's just a slow build. It's extremely hard. You're uncomfortable most of the time because you're so full, and it's a very challenging thing to put on lean mass. But I could also point to you to seven or eight or nine other very hard things to do in life that John Jones did. Rules don't apply to him. He has a different belief system. He has a different level of success. He has a different level of expectation. I'm curious. I'm not sold on it. I would have been sold. I would have been sold on John is doing everything right. Until Adesanya offered the other side. And I think as this plays out, and we see these smaller guys moving up, I, th I think that we're going to learn a lot and I think that we need to be open to the idea of changing our mind if we're confronted with new evidence the curators at Bespoke Post have done it again this winter with an all new lineup of essential box of awesome collections guys guaranteed this is going to upgrade your life I recently got into the filet box of awesome it's knives, and I must tell you, I didn't even know I needed them until I received them. Guys, these are so sharp. While adding a sleek style to my kitchen, whether it's showcase piece to level up your indoor hosting skills or cozy threads for those blustery days, bespoke post only sends guys the best stuff every month. No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. I have my eye on the Weekender. That bag looks functional and stylish in the most manly possible way. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel at any time. Each box costs $45, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. To get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com, enter the promo code CHAIL at checkout. 
That's boxofawesome.com. Promo code CHAIL for 20% off your first box. All right, question for you guys. Do my job for me because I missed this one. Kamara Usman came out on social media, Twitter specifically, and said, I'm not feeling generous anymore. Offer rescinded. Anyone can get it. So Masvidal quickly comes out and responds, yeah, that's what I thought. Full training camp, and you've changed your mind. Okay, great. I feel like I'm on third base. How the hell did we get here? I left to come on vacation. That fight was not only going to happen, it was gonna, they were going to do an ultimate fighter. How, how did we get here? I've scanned the dirt sheets. I've been to the elbows and the manias. I've been to Errol Helwani's Twitter. I don't know. No one's got the scoop. How did we get to this spot? I don't know that we've ever seen a champion call somebody else out, get the fight, take it back. I don't know what happened. And there wasn't even time for there to be a skunk at the garden party to ruin the negotiation. I mean, guys will get out of fights that way all the time. They'll just price themselves out. I used to know guys that would do that. I'll fight anybody. Oh, really? Well, I didn't even know you did that. I'll fight anybody. 500 grand. Anyone. I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Which is a clever way of saying, I will fight nobody ever at all while still remaining a little bit macho. I mean, that's one way that guys get out. We haven't had time for that. There would have been time for a back and forth and somebody to do that. And had they done that, I'm guessing, guys, I don't know. I do not know what I'm saying to be true. Had one of them done that, that would have gotten out. That would have been used against them as a negotiation tool. Whether it's by the promoter or by the opponent. Hey, what's your holdup? Sign this. It doesn't appear that that's what happened. So what did? What gives here? Oh, and by the way, if that's out, if Masvidal's off the table, that would be great news, I would imagine, for Colby Covington in front of everybody else. That was, that was his fight from what we were told. We were told they were getting Colby and Masvidal together. Would seem as though the winner's going to go on to fight for a championship. I mean, right, Colby, Colby when, he, when Usman called out Masvidal and Masvidal accepted, that didn't cost Colby one fight, it cost him two So I would think that that would be very good news, but it would also put a lot more focus, in all fairness, to put a lot more focus on what Leon's getting ready to do. Leon and Bilal, all of a sudden, wait a minute, does this just become a number one contenders match? Because as much as I'm talking about this is great news for Colby, now Colby can, can go have the Masvidal fight, says who? Something's been holding that fight up. That's me talking. The only fight that we know that we have in the division that's meaningful right now is Leon and Muhammad. So you can't take your eye off of that. You can't act as though Bilal doesn't belong in here. He's a short notice fight. Great. Guess what? He's here. He's about to take on the number three guy in a division where it appears a lot of guys don't want to fight. Mahal Muhammad is not one of those guys. Appears he does want to fight. And Leon's won what, guys? Eight? So if Leon beats Mohamed, now he's won nine? I mean, what a difference a day has made. I want to know how we got here. What happened 
between Usman and Masvidal. What happened there? Once we establish that, though, we do have to understand we have to go with the willing guys. And if we're looking for a contender, and we are, then we look at the next featured bout within that weight class. Now, I'm stating the obvious for you. But what I don't want to happen is that we have Bahal Mohammed step in on short notice, take on a number three guy in the world that nobody else would, and dismiss him. No, no, no. We don't dismiss guys in this sport for doing that. We credit them. We credit them for that. If, in fact, Usman Masvidal is off, if, in fact, that is true, then all the focus is going to shift to Mohammed and Leon. I don't know if I've ever gone on a vacation as an adult, but I feel like with the sport you travel a lot and so on and so forth, but I was gonna go on a cruise. And I don't know if you guys ever caught this. They were sending ads to your email or whatever like they were to mine. But cruises were basically paying you to go on them. I was gonna take my whole family, kids, wife, her parents, my mother, it's like seven of us. Cruise for a week, all inclusive, all your food, everything. 600 bucks. 600 for all of us. I don't know if I could keep my family at home and eat three meals a day for 600. Okay, gotta go. Well, okay, things didn't work out. Cruise got canceled. So I come out to California, getting some nice weather, having a great time. I get a call from Daryl. And Daryl, or better known as Coach Christian, is gonna go put TJ. Dillashaw, he's going to put Brian Ortega, he's going to put Juan Archuleta through this workout. But man, I got to see that. I, I need to see that. The UFC champion versus the Bellator champion in the same way. Like, I have to be present to see that, right? You'll never, you'll never know who wins unless you show up. So like, okay, I'm going. So I get down here, and right when I pull in, TJ Dillashaw is pulling in. He doesn't know I'm, he doesn't know I'm in town. So TJ's pulling in and I see him and I haven't been able to get a hold of TJ in about two or three weeks, even text messages, like Sanhagen's fighting. I'm going, hey man, I'm about to go on ESPN, send me a quote. And he's got an iPhone, I've got an iPhone. You guys know how that works. If he gets my message and he reads my message, I know he got my message and read my message, but he still didn't respond. So I pull into the parking lot, TJ's getting out of his car. So I grab my phone and I just call him. I'm gonna see what he does as I'm observing him. Takes his phone out, sees it's me, sends my ass to voicemail. Oh, oh really? So I get out of the car and I said, you know, you're busted. And he's like, busted for what? I said, what do you mean for, you just sent me to voicemail and I'm watching you. And he goes, dude, I swear I didn't even see it was you. I just didn't want to take a call before practice. Okay, fine. So we come inside and they start working out. Just Juan and TJ. Ortega wasn't here yet. So Juan and TJ are working out. And I will tell you one thing I did not know about TJ Dillashaw till today. TJ's mean. I did not know that. Like as an observer watching TJ fight, there's I put a, put things in order. But his number one thing for me as an observer would be finesse. And I would put finesse in a category, a similar word to athletic where he's gonna use movement, he's going to use speed, he's very tactical as you start to break it down. Well, after watching him today, I might put Mean as number, he's very aggressive. And he's going with Juan Archuleta. Now that's relevant because TJ is as good of a fighter as I've ever seen. But Juan Archuleta is as good of a competitor 
as I've ever seen. And so it's vastly different, but you see guys like this all the time, from, from the Olympic championships to world championships in sports. They're one of the two. You're either more skilled than everybody else, you can win the gold medal, or you're meaner, you're in better shape, you go harder. That'll also win you a gold medal. It's very rare that you see both. And one of the reasons I wanted to see these guys in practice, this closed door training session, is well, what wins out? Is it athleticism or is it grit? I mean, they're very, very different fighters. So one thing that you'll do, and I used to do this every day too, but I did it for warm up. it's called drilling. Okay, allow me to condescend if, as though you don't know what drilling means. But if I'm gonna drill, I'm gonna have a partner. And that's where a coach will show a technique and I'm gonna go practice the technique. Now my partner is gonna make me look good. My partner is gonna let me get just to where I want, change elevation, get my hands. It's, it's not an emphasis on speed when you're drilling, it's an emphasis on correct technique, on body mechanics, on skill building and learning. That's the emphasis to a drill. After I go, we get up and then he goes and I make him look good and I make sure he has success. It's very hard to get frustrated when drilling because it's not competitive. Again, I did it every day. My, it was a warm up. I couldn't get mad during a drill if I want. I want to know how to get mad. I'm just getting warmed up. TJ had the eye of the tiger. TJ was doing drills and getting mad. TJ was getting drills and getting frustrated because this wasn't in the right position. He wasn't coming under the arm the way he was getting frustrated. Go, man, I didn't understand he was so competitive. It's hard to compete in a drill because it's, are you following what I'm saying? I mean, I learned something today. So, okay, these guys had this, this drill. One of the things that's changed, and I only left the sport a year ago, year and a half ago. That's a long time. That is a long time as rapidly as this sport is changing in one position particular, which is the cage. I lived through the era where the cage was a nuisance. The cage was in your way. Bigger cage, more cage, smaller cage, less cage, but this was a real thing. The cage, if it hit the cage, man, it's, sport's done, nothing you can do. But then I lived through the era where the cage became the ultimate form of defense. If you wanted to frustrate a wrestler or you were worried about the wrestling, you could just go up against the fence. You could sit your ass into this. There's a way to turn your feet, turn your, get your heel and toes. I could break that down for you. But the bottom line is it would, it would stop all wrestling. Stop it. And this was a huge era when guys started to learn how to do this. I didn't know it was a thing. I learned it live fighting Anderson Silva when I couldn't take him down. Why can't I take this guy down? And I didn't know what it was he was doing. We were up against the fence, but I didn't understand the positioning of some of these nuances. They came out of Brazil. He beat me to it. I share that with you because then you bring in like a Khabib, who Khabib did all of his offense against the fence. So when these guys were going through the era of using it for defense, Khabib was learning how to be offensive in light of their defense and having success with it. So seeing Juan and TJ drill today, they had a real emphasis on cage work. And just watching some of the nuances, how you're going to drag a guy off, if your hands are tied up because your upper body, how you're going to step in with your feet, create some space, off balance, trip this way, fall that way. I've seen Khabib do it at a distance, but to, and I, I think I understand what he's doing. I think I understand it, to, but to be shown it and trained it perfectly, I just didn't come through that era, even though that was a year ago. That just, that's, it's that new. So I was learning all sorts of stuff and Ortega comes in right at the end of practice, and I don't know if, I, I, th I thought maybe these guys were going to go live. Okay, I'm going to see these three hammers go at it, but it didn't happen. They're going to come back, they just, uh, use this as a drill, use it as skill building. 
got a good sweat for a little over an hour, learn some techniques, go home, rest up a little bit. They're going to come back and go live this afternoon. So I'm hoping to get back to it, but I've already snuck away on my vacation. Right, I'm in, I got family time, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this afternoon's workout. But if I do, I'm going to keep you guys posted because there's some pretty there's some pretty intense stuff going on over here. By the way, did I mention about Dillashaw? He's mean. Before I go, I just have to talk about the atrocity that we witnessed before last weekend's fights. So at the weigh-ins, a 145-pounder missed weight by over 12 pounds, which means if he's to fight at 145 and he's over 12 pounds, you know, he's 157 and change, 12.3 pounds. Hold the thought, though. The point I'm attempting to make is not only did he not make his weight, he didn't make the weight class above weight. He would officially, as a 45-pounder, he would officially be weighing in as a welterweight. So, I mean, an epic miss, and I would never kick a guy when he's down, and that is not my intent, and things probably are not going to look great as far as coming back to the promotion and moving forward. That Not at all my intent. I'm trying to go somewhere else, which is, what is the mindset? And I don't know. I'm asking, what is the mindset when that happens? And I've only gone to a scale to personalize this one time not knowing what I weighed. And I remember it very clear. I was in Evanston, Illinois, the University Nationals, but along with University Nationals, they would won uh, what was called the Cadet World Team Trials. I was a cadet. I was 15 years old, and I was trying to make the world team, and the weight class was 143 pounds. So I got to what's known as a check scale, which means exactly what it said. You check your weight. It's not official because the weigh-ins have it start. You check your weight. So I check my weight, and it's an hour before the weigh-ins. I was three and a half pounds over. Now, I have cut weight at this current point of my life, right now, so much that I have it down to a science. I can lose eight pounds in one hour. If I got six and a half pounds, I'm going to need 45 minutes. I, and I know exactly what it is I need to do. I need to know what I need to put on. I will know exactly the exercises I need to do perfectly. But when I was 15 years old, I didn't know so I'm three and a half pounds overweight and I have one hour. So I put on all my gear and I'm exercising as much as I can and I go right to the wire. The scale opens up and I go in there. I'm soaking wet. I take all my stuff on and get on the scale. I happen to make it. I'm just sharing the mindset of one time in my life where I went to a scale not knowing exactly what I weighed. And I'm curious when somebody goes, because this particular way, and I'm discussing, purposely leaving the name out, right? Because I'm not looking to be a jerk to this person, but they weighed in in their underwear. And it does make you wonder, did they think they might make it? Because your mind will tell you very bizarre things when you're desperate, not to mention dehydrated. That is a state that most of you will never be in. Most of you will never be dehydrated. And I share that with you because your mind will do some stuff if you're adding fasting on top of that. But your mind will go to some... And I'm just wondering sincerely, did the gentleman think maybe this scale's going to be broken? I'm going to show up to weigh-ins. I know I'm a baker's dozen over, but there is a chance that the scale is broken. 
There's something known as a, a scale weighing light or a scale weighing heavy, which again is just what it sounds. You have a check scale, and every athlete that comes to the official scale comes to the curtain and goes, that scale's weighing light. It, it, I was a pound under, and I know for sure I was right on. Or vice versa, hey, what's going on here? I know I'm on weight because of the check scale. This thing has me a pound and a quarter over. What's going on? That's like a real phenomenon at times. Was he thinking like somewhere just, you know, in his twisted logic and crossing fingers, this scale is 12 pounds off? And it just makes me wonder why the underwear? Mayhem Miller had the most classic fail of all time. Mayhem was a foreign country. He was 26 pounds over in his underwear. So he gets off the scale and drops the underwear and gets back on. As though it was 26-pound underwear. It, it was hilarious. And I don't know if Mayhem was trying to be funny and trying to be still. I would trust that he was, but he did it with a straight face and he sold it. And I've seen other people in a like-minded situation where it's much more reasonable, a pound, a pound and a quarter, but they will call for the towel and drop their underwear. Kind of going, you don't know what your underwear weighs? And again, this will be something you may not totally be able to relate to. Much like being dehydrated is something you probably won't have to deal with. The same goes for what your clothing weighs, right? I mean, fighting, wrestling, one of the few sports or one of the few professions in all of Earth where they will weigh you in before you're allowed to go do your job. But I will just tell you, as somebody who's lived that life, I know what everything in my house weighs, everything. I mean, if I was to go to my scale, and I have a scale built, it's in my bathroom, digital scale, absolutely set under the Oregon State Athletic Commission, perfectly calibrated scale. But if I was to go in in my bathrobe, I know exactly what my bathrobe weighs, three and a half pounds. If I was to go in in just my underwear, if I was to go in an underwear and a pair of shirts, every pair of shoes that I own, I know exactly what they weigh in case I get on the scale. I don't have to strip every time. I know what the shoes weigh. I know what the jacket I just know what everything weighs. That's just something with living that life that you get used to so that you can constantly check and know what you weigh. So when I see some of these people coming in grossly overweight, there does beg the question, why did you show up? And there is an answer. I just don't know what it is. One, do you think the scale's going to be wrong? Maybe. Two, do you know the scale's going to be right? You're going to be over, but cross your fingers that the commission just allows you to fight. They take a little 10% uh, of your purse, but off you go. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe, hey, look, I'm wrong, but what if my opponent is also overweight? Now all of a sudden we do a catch weight. He takes some of my purse. I take some of his purse and everything's washed. I don't know. I'm making things up right now because I don't have the foggiest idea. And I told you guys the story. I told you guys the story of an unnamed Bellator official who grabbed a guy that did the same thing. The guy was overweight and the official grabbed him on the way out the door and said, just a little friendly advice. Wherever you end up and wherever you go next, because it's not going to be here. But if you're ever going to miss weight by this much in the future... Just don't show up. We would buy, I'm sick. We would buy, I'm hurt. That'll be a phone call. We'll put you on the docket down the road. If you show up and we know the reason this fight is scratched, which is purely poor planning and a fail on your part, there's no way to revisit this. And the official was being very kind and very sweet. And even if that sounds like some real tough love, he went out of his way to give this advice to the fighter because he was right. And he was very serious. If you're ever this much over, just don't show up. 
Don't let all the cameras know. Don't let the media know. Don't bring it to anybody's attention. There's a million reasons to miss a fight. This can't be one of them. And it, it was crossing my mind. I thought I would bring it to you guys. I mean, it, it is a nickel's worth of free advice. And I've seen there was one fail, but it was it was a kind of explained, which was Kelvin Gaslam. Kelvin Gaslam was taken on Tyron Woodley. And Kelvin missed weight by like seven or eight pounds. But, and there is a big but, Kelvin had disclosed it. He had documented ahead of time. He let everybody know this was going to happen. Oh, and by the way, he was in the emergency room. The emergency room was giving him IVs. So it was, it, was a, it was a little bit different, but I do bring to you just by example. That is something much like Kelvin. You want to get in front of it. You knew you were going to miss. Don't make your opponent continue to suffer. Don't make the organization pay for the lights and the cameras. and they, Don't frustrate the commission with all the paperwork. Don't make the media get in position. I mean, right, there's a way. It's kind of important you get in front of it. There's not a whole lot of rules within this sport. That's one of them. There's a reason we check the weight. It's going to be relevant. And to go back to the lesson that was learned at Bellator, sometimes it is best to just not show up. All right, guys, that is it for today's show. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to help out the show is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or simply tell a friend. I've got another exciting podcast coming out on Friday, but until then, I am Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.